just past 7 o'clock, and wouldn't you know it, it's time for Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and a little lonely in the studio tonight because Ira, my uh, partner in crime, is not in studio for the first time in a long time. He's got a good reason, though, Ira. Where are you, and where have you been? I was in, uh, I'm in Los Angeles. I was at the Genesis uh, Golf Tournament at the Riviera Country Club for the last uh, five days and saw... A uh, pretty good tournament and great weather. They've had some bad weather in years past, so it was. But uh, but it was uh, it was a, it was a good tournament and, and, and won by Adam Scott, who's uh, a former winner of the Honda Classic, which is coming up in two weeks in West Palm Beach. You want to know what's funny, Ira? A lot of people, I think, a lot of Americans don't like Adam Scott, and I don't really know why. And you know, all the the dealings I've had with the Honda Classic, I've spoken with Adam Scott before, had interactions with him. He seems like the nicest guy, so I'm glad to see uh, him get a big win here. But my real question is. How do your legs feel after walking five rounds of a golf tournament? Well, I'm, it's, it was easier this year than last year when it was raining and everything. But I just did the pro am on Wednesday, and then and then each I followed Tiger. It was weird how they did it this year on Saturday and Sunday. They started it in threes, and they started with a, a, a reverse starting. So actually, the worst person who started finished was in last place, would finish start at the same time at ten as the leaders would start at one. And so it was all, it's a very compressed start time uh, for Tiger. That's why Tiger was on the field. I mean, he was way out of the lead, 20 shots back yesterday. But he's on the course uh, finishing just like a couple holes behind the leaders uh, who are finishing. They've, he finished like around 2.15, and the leaders finished a little like at 3 o'clock. And, and that is just bizarre to me. <laughs> you don't see that often. Um, something else you don't see very often, Ira, is a major live sporting event going on during our show. And there is right now, and you're watching the Daytona 500. Yeah, I'm watching. It was watching. I thought it'd be done, but they had a tremendous accident. Uh, Fifteen car, ten cars. I'm not sure exactly they, how were knocked out. Uh, in with about uh, four, about fifteen laps to go, about ten cars were knocked out, and so now they've been like in, under caution for the last. It seems like a half an hour. But uh, uh, Ryan Newman is leading it. But Jimmy Johnson, this was his last Daytona 500, uh, and he got uh, uh, knocked out of the race just at that, in that accident. So there was, in addition to all of this, um, you took in a college basketball game, and you always send me pictures, and it's crazy to see the discrepancies between some teams' arenas, especially in NCAA hoops, and some of the other teams. And so tell us about the game you were at and why this was just uh, definitely a smaller-looking venue. Well, going to Pepperdine for Gonzaga, and the reason I want to see is uh, Gonzaga is ranked number two in the country. Uh, they're one of the favorites to win the national championship, and I wanted to see them in person and, and, and see what was all, if they would have it. You know, it was a great opportunity to just go there, sit in a great seat, eight rows up uh, for fifty dollars, and, <laughs> and watch watch a good basketball game. And Pepperdine gave them a, a great game, but it was interesting to see how Gonzaga played, and uh, it was it was literally I've been in many high school gyms. I've been in, into a junior high gym that was nicer than the one that Pepperdine played in. But it was fun to go to the game. It was on Malibu, and it was just a fun... Those atmospheres are great. I mean, it's like 3,000 people, and they're yelling and screaming, and there's, it's a small arena, and it's, uh, it was fun. So, Ira, we had planned to talk about the Genesis right off the bat tonight on Ira on Sports, but you want to scrap this idea. And, and I, I'm with you because it seems like you just can't get away from the Major League Baseball scandal and the ensuing uh, backlash and fallout from that. Every day you've got new um, professional baseball players, coaches, writers coming out with their own opinion on the Astros cheating scandal. You seem to be one of the only people that are just over it and don't care anymore and just want to be done with it. J.D. Martinez of the Red Sox actually came out and said the same thing. <laughs> like, like, I'm just done with this, guys. Can we move on? Me, maybe it's because I'm a Yankee fan. I'm a little more invested in it. But I think that a lot of these guys are only giving their opinion because it's what the, the media is asking. I, I don't think that Mike Trout wants to ever say a bad word about anybody, but now he's the most recent guy to come out and be like, yeah, I, I would strip them of their titles. So where do, where's your take on baseball right now? Because I know you've been getting a lot of it. I think Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, should come on our, our show. Because, <laughs> I, I think I, because I might be the only show that would say, I totally, I think this is ridiculous. Like, it is Absolutely, I thought it was like I thought it was ridiculous that when they first did it, compared to about what's been going on in baseball, and then for suddenly, and I'm going to go over some history of this. So we're going to, I'm going to give some history because there's stuff I'm going to say right now that I don't hear 
on any of these other sports talk radio shows or anything. But when First Take, which doesn't talk about baseball during the World Series. Never. The World Series is going on in First Take with Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman doesn't even talk about baseball. During the entire playoffs, doesn't talk. But now they have it as like their second story. You have all these other talk show guys that now, oh, we're going to talk about baseball. Actually, I think it's great for baseball because now people are talking about it. And the Astros are a team that everybody hates, and Little League teams can't have their name Astros. The Astros are coming. Everybody will boo them. And it's going to create some excitement now when the Astros play. So it's actually, I think, in the essence, people say, oh, this is going to kill baseball. I don't see how it kills baseball. It's got people talking about it. But I, I just, I might be the only person out there who, I'm not saying what the Astros did was correct and everybody should cheat, but I think compared to what's happened in baseball in the past, and for all these other players to go, it's one thing that the Astros cheated, but it's for all these other players to come out now and complain about the Astros, that's ridiculous. Well, uh, I, I'm sure you're talking a little bit about Cody Bellinger because he had some damning words. And obviously they lost the World Series um, to that 2017 Astros team. So that, that uh, I get it. That there's some fuel to the fire there. I really don't like the Astros owner kind of coming out and saying, like, that nah, wasn't really a big deal. I think that just added more fuel to the flames. Like, this guy's not even showing contrition for this. Like, that, what are you going to do? Like, we, we cheated a little bit. It didn't affect the outcome of the games. It, it clearly did. So I think that maybe is where a lot of this, um, you know, two sides is coming up. I, well, I know, but I, (laughs) this is my point is that (laughs) Carlos Beltran is considered the godfather of the cheating. So when everybody looks into it, he's the, he is the godfather. He's, uh, uh, he's the guy that started this whole thing. Because when he came to the Astros, he said in 2017, you guys, you're behind the times in sign stealing. Like, you guys are not stealing the signs like everyone else has. Now, it's not like Carlos Beltran's been on one team his entire career. Carlos Beltran's played a lot of teams. From 98 to 2004, he was at Kansas City. Then in 2004, he was at Houston. But then he left Houston, and from 2005 to 11 was the Mets. Then he played for the Giants for a year, the St. Louis Cardinals for two years, and the Yankees for three years. And then he went to the Rangers. So suddenly, so he comes to the Astros in 17 and says, look, I've been around everywhere. I've played at eight of these other teams, and you guys are the worst. Let me teach you how to steal signs. Let's, let's figure out how we're going to do this. I'm going to show you what everybody else does. So clearly, Carlos Beltran, who had been to all these other things, and, and everyone's been saying, that's what he's been stating, that he was saying, you're behind the times, and I'm going to make it. But that means other teams have been doing this. It's not like Carlos Beltran just came out and said, oh, this is my one time I'm going to have this way to steal signs. I've invented this new thing I've been working on. Clearly, this has been going on with all these teams that he's been involved in, and suddenly now people are like, oh, I never heard about this. I don't know about this. But of course they were. I Otherwise, Beltran wouldn't feel so comfortable pushing it to the Astros. No, I agree with that. I just think it was the addition of using advanced technology. If there really was, and I'm torn on this about the buzzers thing. Granted, the Jose Altuve, uh, you know, don't rip my shirt off thing is not a good look. But I'm 50-50 on that. If they were using buzzers to tip the pitches off, that's just blatantly, egregiously against the rules. I understand every team's going to give themselves the the leg up as much as they can, but the way they went about it is just really, it's, it's damning. Oh, but let me get back into this again. 2017, the Astros beat the Yankees and the Dodgers. That's what the whole story was. But at that time, then Carlos Beltran and Alex Cora. But then that same year when they were at what the Red Sox were using, the Red Sox got in trouble in 2017 for using Apple Watches during the, during the, during the season. They were using these Apple Watches. So they were, called, they were actually Fitbits, not Apple Watches. And they were, they were said that they stole the signs. They said them on Fitbits. Almost the exact same thing as the buzzer, where they were getting buzzed on what the signals were going to be. And, all the, and they, they got caught red-handed by the Yankees. The Yankees turned the Red Sox in. And they got caught red-handed. And the Red Sox were saying, well, the Yankees, you're doing it too. And they found the Yankees doing some things with some, some camera. And they got in trouble. And so that all happened in 2017. And all the Yankees did and all the Red Sox did was get fines. They didn't like get everyone yelled and screamed about everything. They just got fines. Everybody laughed about it. Oh, that someone was using an Apple Watch or whatever. And then in 2018, then Cora comes to the Yankees beat the Astros. I mean, at that point, the Red Sox beat the Yankees and, and the Astros, then the Dodgers. And, and so the Red Sox beat them with Cora, who was also the ringleader with Beltran. He's on the Red Sox. So you have all these people. It's not like the Astros are in this vacuum by themselves uh, concocting these schemes. These players and coaches that were on the Astros are now spread about everywhere else in the league. 
And so it's like they were all involved in this, and they also were on the Yankees. That's why for the Yankees to complain, I don't understand, because Beltran, the godfather of this all, the godfather of this entire operation, in last year worked for the Yankees for Brian Cashman, was the assistant general manager. So he's on the Yankees. So if the Yankees, if he's mad about what the Astros are doing, it was his ideas that they were using to beat them. So why are the Yankees complaining when you had their godfather on your side? I just, that's why it doesn't, if it was just one thing and these teams were like, if it's like college football for a year and people were cheating, but I just think that these players were all, all over the place. And then like Mike Fires is at the A's, but if these people, players were so mad about it, then now everyone's coming out saying, we all knew about this. Well, if you all knew about it, then why don't you say something? Why did it come public? Why did you make a point at the time? And supposedly the Nationals knew everything because people were getting phone calls. That's what the Nationals beat the Astros four out of seven games in Houston. Houston did win a home game in the World Series because the Nationals were giving insight. Everyone was giving them information about it. So I just think, I look, I, they got caught. They, the, 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 uh, I just don't think players should have got suspended. I think you're not going to have ever have this happen again. Everyone's all mad about it. But I think that the fact that these players are they're coming across as like, oh, this is horrendous. Da, da, da. They, all, they are either participating, they knew about it, they had friends that were doing it, everybody. This is just rampant throughout baseball. And for these players to come out, and especially if you're, if you're from the Red Sox or the Yankees and you complain, I don't want to hear it. And if you're the Dodgers, whatever. Cody Bellinger should have hit better after he was Mr. May and June. Uh, didn't do anything in July and August and September. By the way, Cody Bellinger is the worst World Series, um, World Series uh, statistically performer ever. He was five for forty-four uh, in those World Series. So maybe you get a couple more hits and not strike out twenty times in your forty-four at bats, and they'd be looking a little better. What I do find interesting is that this essentially ends Carlos Beltran's career in, in front offices. And yet A.J. Hinch is going to be hired the minute his suspension is up. There's even teams talking about bringing him in like, oh, just have him maybe a special advisor. He's not the coach. <laughs> just get him on our payroll so that when the suspension's up, he can come right in. Carlos Beltran is taking the brunt of this. Well, he's taking a brunt, but also like Altuve and Correa, the people at the Astros, like Garrett Cole, like, like if you somehow left Houston, it's like, oh, I left Houston, now I'm fine. Like, is Garrett Cole, he was there, why didn't Garrett Cole say, look, what we're doing is wrong, like, this is terrible. Now everybody's, are they, is Garrett Cole, here, this is interesting. So now, now, you're supposed, we're supposed to throw, the idea is that they're supposed to now, pitchers supposed to throw at the Astros, because the Astros cheated. So should Garrett Cole, Cole, who was on the Astros when they were cheating, throw at his own Astro players, because he was part of the cheating himself? Like, what is the point? What is the, I don't understand this, like, throwing at the players. Because you have all these people that were on the Astros, they're now other teams that are involved in the teams. Are they going to throw at the Astros when they themselves were part of the of the of the whatever the the scandal? It's a, definitely a slippery slope. I hope that this is not what we see. That it's just a retaliation and. Every you know all every team in the AL is going to crank Altuve, Correa, and Bregman when they come up. I don't want to see it devolve into something ridiculous like this. I do think you need to move on. If you want to vacate the Astros World Series, what does that do? They still sold all the merchandise after it. They still got all the financial benefits. They still had the better stats to get them better better um, contracts down the road. That, that's not going to change by giving the, the Dodgers the World Series. And I don't think Dodgers fans even care that much. Oh, give us a title from three years ago. So oh, I think to me, they it's do. I'm in L.A. I, the Dodgers fan. They, the people in L.A. like stuff like that. I think really? Tony yeah. wants it. <laughs> he wants They're it. The They'll have a parade. <laughs> but the point is, is that the vacating it is ridiculous. And, and also the fact that people are calling for it. Could you imagine in, in this, in, like during college, college football scandals and college basketball scandals, it's one thing for the NCAA to step in and say, you used an eligible player, like this player was not on your team, and we're going to vacate the title and we're going to have this. But have you ever heard of other teams saying, wow, this team cheated, so we should be the national champions? You never hear that in college basketball and college football. And, and instead, you have these players like, oh, well, it's really not fair, like Aaron Judge would have been the MVP and not Altuve. And they're all complaining. Like, I don't know what has happened. It used to be this was like closed society where they would not talk about anything, yeah. and now everyone's just bashing the Astros. But when they have Astro players on their team, and it's not like, again, these Astro players are not like, yeah, they've been the Astros forever, and that was the only ones they had. So, um, watching the Daytona, there was another huge wreck at the end of the race. They are not be able to finish this race. This race. It's crazy. Uh, let, let's move on, though. <laughs> We're spending a lot of time on this. It's 7.20. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. Ira, like we said, you walked five rounds at the Genesis. Adam Scott is your eventual winner. Let's talk about uh, your experience at the course because this is one that you see on TV, and it's like a bucket list uh, item for us golf fans to, to see this course. 
Well, it's a very exclusive private club, and what's famous was is that because it's in L.A., it was the country club that a lot of the, the actors and actresses, and really actors, because it was a male-only club, but Humphrey Bogart, Peter Falk, Dean Martin, Walt Disney, Douglas Fairbanks. It's been in like a zillion movies. The clubhouse is this famous, uh, in, you know, famous clubhouse in terms of it's not, trust me, it's not as fun as the I-bar at the Honda because it's hard to walk <laughs> around and move around. It's not that, but it, it looks pretty outside, and that's all that counts. It's actually going to host. This has had the 48 U.S. Open, the 83 and 95 PGA Championships, and will host the Olympics in 2028. Uh, and was built at for $250,000 back in 1926. It was like the most expensive golf club ever built at the time. So I thought that was, uh, that was pretty. And, and Ben Hogan won this tournament three times and the U.S. Open. Uh, when he won the U.S. Open in 1940, he won $2,000. That shows you where golf has been. And that's why it's, they call it Hogan's Alley because it is a, around the golf club is all these multi-zillion dollar houses ringing around, but they're not like you can't walk to them. They're on the, the cliffs around it. So it's, it was funny, on Wednesday and Thursday, people were doing construction on the houses, so people were like, quiet, quiet, and then there were, people were hammering, you could hear, it was like you felt like you were in a construction zone from all the work <laughs> in the house, but I think someone got the message out, because by Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I didn't hear any ha- hammering or anything. Uh, the interesting thing about this tournament is Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods have never won the tournament, so two of the, they've won a zillion tournaments, they won 140-some combined, they played it, but they, they've never won, even though this was Tiger's first tournament that he played, played in, uh, the first tournament he played. He missed the cut, uh, but it was his first tournament. So let's talk about the course itself, Ira, because it's a quirky and unique course, and this is what I love. No water. Um, they've got bunkers in the middle of some of the greens. They've got a drivable par four on the 10th hole, which that has to be a super exciting area. Everyone in that 10th tee box is looking for these guys to drive the, the green. Well, it's the greens of Poa Ayano, they're like what most Western courses, but the fairways use this grass that's from East Africa because they had polo there, and someone brought all the grass over for the polo, and it sort of took over the entire golf course. So when you walk around, they say it's spongy. It does. It, it feels like you're walking like on a – not a trampoline, but it doesn't feel like walking on grass like it's certainly in, in Florida because it's real, you, you sink into it. And that's why it makes it a little harder to walk around because you are sinking while you're walking. There was no rain all these days, but with the mist and the dew and everything that comes on it, the ground was wet. Like your shoes would be wet even though there was absolutely no rain whatsoever. But those, those interesting holes are crazy. In par three, there's a bunker. I mean, it's almost like a miniature golf course. There's a bunkers in the middle of the green. So you can actually hit into a green. It's like in the middle of it, there's a bunker. And then on the par eight, for the the uh, number eight par four, it's you can choose. People say, well, you must be wrong. They're using a different fairway. No, there's two fairways, and then the middle is this like a uh, gully that goes yeah. in between the two fairways. So it's like a left twix or right twix. You can go uh, for the candy bar. You can go either left or right on that. So that's interesting. And then uh, there was some of the, there's like this thing called bogey's tree. The, this uh, sycamore trees are beautiful. Uh, that ring it. And I mean, I, my pictures, my pictures on, on Iron Sports, on Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter, uh, I love these pictures because you can see uh, they're just, they're beautiful white sycamore trees that just line. It's a laid out course that's really pretty, even just walking around there, that's really nice. So Ira, let's talk about um, the action itself. You were out at the Pro-Am and an interesting group of Tiger Woods might have got you a uh, discount on a Sonata. <laughs> well, the, the chair, I mean, I guess Tiger played with somebody who is worth twice as much as Tiger is. So I guess he, because the, pre, the the chairman of Hyundai was there and uh, he was playing, and then somebody who was like he was interesting, like who would Tiger play with? And it was supposed to be random, but of course it's never random. And then it was the head of the guy who ships uh, golf clubs. This guy Peter was out there, and then Condoleezza Rice. Uh, and but Tiger was so this time I've walked with Tiger on a lot of these pro-ams. Of course, he was as gregarious as nice as talkative to the fans, to the play, to everything. He, he really was talking to everyone the entire time. I've never seen him this lose. He also, as much as he said he was stiff later, and he, he seemed relaxed. He walked great. He, he didn't, like a lot of times when I've seen him, like last year, he would walk with another club. It was almost like a crutch. He wasn't using that. He was walking very fast, and he didn't, like, pause to bend the ball. And he, when he read putts, he would just sit in his crouch and could stay down for a while. Like all these things that you look at when your back is bothering or your knee was bothering you or anything, he didn't seem he never. He had some really tough shots where he he hit him and he was sort of like uneven or not uneven, and he was able to. He was in grimace. But I think he looked, he looked fantastic. But it was great just walking with him because he was talking to people all around us. Like people were joking with him about L.A., about Florida. There's just normal conversations. 
I, I do love Tiger and his loose aspect, and I've seen him once or twice at the Honda Classic uh, practice rounds when he's like that. But you said this was next level. You thought he was. You you told me he's dialed in, Mike. So I went ahead and placed a small bet on him. Of course, I'm sorry. It didn't, I, no, I, I told that to everybody. I, I, I swear, <laughs> he was, it seemed like every time he was within a few. He was not putting well, but he was just driving so well. I mean, his approaches, like it was like everything was like in within ten feet almost for eighteen holes, and I was like, he's ready to have it a monster. He's going to win this tournament, and I felt like. That was the way it was. And look, his betting odds went great. I wasn't the only person that saw him during the practice round. So clearly people saw what was going on, but then it just totally fell apart off the rail. Well, let's talk about it. Day one wasn't that bad for Tiger. He was still in contention. Let's talk about uh, what happened before the tournament, how you got set up, and then talk about Thursday. Well, on Thursday, I just, I don't, I'll just, every now and then we're going to talk about each day, and I'll just mention there's no draw sheets, which is horrendous. So when you go to the tournament, you like to know when people are playing, what hole they're on. Of course, they, they don't have that. They go, go to your Wi-Fi. But, of course, the Wi-Fi is terrible. They're, they say we have this great Wi-Fi. I couldn't get Wi-Fi the entire time. Like, there was nothing. I hardly could make a phone call or text yeah. or anything, let alone get draw sheets. So you had no idea that what's going on. And uh, the key thing about, like I like about, they do allow, of course, the cell phone pictures, and I love taking pictures. Now, Wednesday, you're allowed to bring your camera. Or Thursday, you can't. But I always I got a lot of good pictures behind Tiger or behind. I took covered uh, Rory and Dustin Johnson on, on Thursday. And then the key in taking these pictures is to because besides my stool, which I carried around, which I didn't really need the first couple of days. It wasn't that those crowds that were great. Was to just stay in front of the golfers because this is the greatest pictures when the golfers are hitting and you can get a good picture right in front of them. And I really like that. And then when you get to the green, the mistake people make is they always stay on the on the side. You have to look at where the next hole is because you really can get stuck on the back side of a green and not be able to go to the other side where the next hole is, and then you're going to miss the next tee and those things. I mean, you don't have to run up head. Like, you can actually, I followed and saw almost every single shot that Tiger had that for the three rounds I followed, or four rounds really, and then almost every other shot. But you don't have to run that far ahead, but you actually have to position yourself and think about where you're going to be when you want to follow this and how you want to take these pictures. So I like doing that. But I followed Rory and Dustin Johnson, and I, there's just some interesting things that happen when you just follow those two. One is that uh, Dustin's wife, Paulina Gretzky, came out and had brought him a sandwich because they forgot the sandwich. And, like, <laughs> she ran out in the middle of the course. And I joke with her. I'm like, I'm like because she was like, brought the sandwich out. And she's like, oh, we forgot it. It was like this and that. And it's like, I, so I do the same thing. Like, you can talk to people like that. Like, it's just funny. Um, the other sad part of it is that when the helicopter came up, like, whenever there's a helicopter out, people were just like, it just stopped. Like, people were, because of the Kobe, of course, the, the tragedy. And it was like, I, I could, people were not playing with the helicopters when they saw it. They backed off. And before, I, I've been in this course many times, there was helicopters flying over all the time, and no one had a problem with that at all. But, uh, I mean, the first day when Kobe, on the first hole, had, uh, Kobe, when Tiger... <laughs> Uh, had an eagle putt at 24 feet, 8 inches, and he made it. That was, like, oh, amazing. Everybody went crazy. I think that's what they talked about that first day, uh, and that was what everyone was talking about. But uh, uh, it's a weird, it was a weird day. It's a weird tournament. The tournament is known to have, like, the most three putts within five feet. Like, these greens aren't crazy where if you hit a ball, it's going to roll off. But people have trouble reading them. And I think one thing is there's a lot of shadows with the trees, especially in the morning, early morning, and people are really concerned. The shadows were really bothering people. You could also sell people that, you know, the, the golfers were screaming, don't move, don't move, you're in my shadow, you're in my shadow, things like that. But uh, Matt Kuchar was a leader, seven under. Uh, he was, uh, he's had, um, and then Rory was back at three under, and Tiger was still in it, two under, and Brooks and Spieth. So all the golfers were there uh, after that first day. But then, of course, the, it started fell apart for Tiger. It's 729. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira. We're getting postponed another day. The Daytona 500 is going to be pushed off till tomorrow at 4 p.m. Denny Hamlin is your leader at the moment. All right, let's go to uh, day two. And I don't think you were able to be there all day. Well, no, I, I got, I got I, for day two on, uh, on Friday, I was. I, I didn't go all day, but I went to watch Tiger throughout his, through, through the, through his, his 18. But he played with Justin Thomas. And it was, it was neat to see Justin Thomas and Tiger and Steve Stricker. So they all got along. So those guys were talking the entire time. They seemed to be whatever. And it was, but Tom, Justin was playing terrible. I mean, at one time he hit a shot and he hit the ball and he just looked at me and he goes, what the swear word happened? And I'm like, I looked at him like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> You're asking me for advice. I really don't have an idea what, why the ball hit the, hit the, the ball hit the green and just bounced completely off it. But, uh, but it was, but Tiger was in it. I mean, he actually got some, bur- he started out that the first, they started, he started out at 10 at, uh, he started out and at, with at the 10th hole and he was playing well. 
in terms of getting a couple birdies and putting himself at two under. But then it just all fell apart in the back nine, and, and he was. Uh, uh, but he, he was at three under. But then it, then he just finished even for the day. He dropped three shots there at the end. But it was uh, so it was like he still made the cut. But it was like you just saw that he sort of fell out of contention. But you thought he still would had a chance in the tournament. You didn't expect he was going to have the bad Saturday and Sundays. But like Bubba Watson, who's won this tournament in the past twice, he didn't make the cut. Jason Day, JT didn't make it. Phil didn't make the cut. And Tiger said he wasn't sharp. And he said he was getting close to the hole. But he said he wasn't putting himself where he wanted to hit his putts. He wasn't comfortable taking those punts. Putts. And uh, he said he needed to be sharper. So that's what uh, after that. But uh, he led the field Thursday in strokes gained in the approach of greens, but he was 96 out of 120 players on Friday. So he really just everything, he just was a mess a little bit on some of those things. And it's funny, it's great that they come out and say that because watching on TV, you're thinking, oh, this doesn't look like a bad putt, but you don't know what's going through his head, where he wanted to put the ball on the green as opposed to where it actually is. So day two, um, we're starting to see the number one golfer in the world, Rory McIlroy, close down on Matt Kuchar, and that's when I'm like, all right, we're going to have an interesting Saturday, Sunday. People, everyone felt, I mean, Rory, I was not following him that day, but everyone's like, Rory was lights out golf. I mean, he was two strokes, but he shot a, a 67, uh, four under. Uh, he was two strokes behind Kuchar, but just positioned himself, looked like he was, like, perfect. And Adam Scott, though, shot a 64. Now, remember, Adam, he won this tournament in, in 2005, but because there was so much rain, they only played two rounds, and then they go back on Monday for a playoff, but it doesn't count. So he got a trophy, but it didn't count. And then, uh, uh, and then he also, then he had that situation where he won 2013, won the Masters, in 2014, he was the number one player in the world, but then he stopped using the belly putter. And I think that's why people, they felt he was cheating. You talk about cheating with scandals. They felt like the belly putter was cheating with that big high putter that he used. But then he ended up winning the Honda and the World Golf Championship in 2016, but then hasn't won in four years, hasn't won a PGA Tour event until yesterday. So that's what, but, it, but that, that put Scott in the mix. So you had Kuchar, Scott, and McElroy, which is interesting because those are the three that really were in the mix than the rest of the, of the tournament this Saturday and Sunday. So why don't we talk about uh, Saturday here, because I know you were going to be right with Tiger again. Yeah, I mean, it was like at this point, everyone's saying, we well, got to follow the leaders. I'm like, I'm sticking with Tiger. I'm still fighting. There's no way I'm going to miss not playing with Baby. And also, it was exciting. He played with Jordan Spieth. So I haven't seen Spieth play a lot. And in playing with Tiger, it's very rare that they play. They don't play. Like, it was, I thought it was, I don't know how many times they've been paired together, but to watch Tiger and Spieth play. I remember Spieth in 2015 won the Masters, won the U.S. Open, had this great year, fourth in the British Open, then he won the Masters again. So, but since his last win was in 2017, so he hasn't won in two, thousand, in two years. But uh, uh, that was like, so it was interesting to see, but, but Spieth wasn't playing well. Tiger wasn't playing well. It was just a mess <laughs> for both of them. Uh, and, uh, and it was just like they were missing putts. I mean, Tiger was missing. I mean, he had a four putt on one green uh, and on eight. Remember I talked about how they had that gully in the middle of the two fairways? I've been going to this tournament for years. I've never saw both Spieth and Tiger hit it in the gully. Like, yeah. <laughs> two big fairways they hit on, and they both hit in the middle. Like, it was crazy. But only Spieth could actually get up and down from that. Like, he actually, they were, so it was... When you watch Spieth and Tiger, Spieth especially, he had some tremendous shots, but it was just generally just missing the putts, uh, just shots that were just, I mean, there were some tee shots he had that looked like he went like 100 yards. Like he was totally off his game and didn't, and didn't play well. And then I caught uh, Kuchar and uh, Matt and Rory for the final four holes and, uh, and just watched them you know, go into the final four. So it was interesting. The tournament is so compact. The, the courses, the drivers actually around, able to jump around and go back to watch everyone else. And so it was setting up for a big day because Scott, McElroy, and Kuchar all were at 10 under on Sunday. And Dustin Johnson finished birdie eagle to go 8 under. So that led up to this like, you know, exciting Sunday where, where then it put a lot of pressure on me because I wanted to watch Tiger in red. But at the same time, I want to watch the leaders, but I chose Tiger instead. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about Sunday. Yeah, because I was glued to it from a, wow, we got four really good golfers here in contention uh, to win this tournament on Sunday. Right, and I was following Tiger, and it's just, it's, my pictures were great. And I wanted to get Tiger, and you know, it was just exciting, and you're sort of hearing what the tournament is doing, what everyone else is. I'm like, well, I'll catch the leaders for like the final holes, and the one shot is Tiger on 17. That's, he played 10 first, so it was like his seventh hole. He, he it was, had a terrible shot. He was in the sand trap. He hit the ball, and it just didn't go anywhere. And everyone's like, oh my God, he looks pathetic. And then he hits it again, and it was like this perfect shot in the hole. So he birdied the hole, so that was, <laughs> that was exciting. But then I jumped to get the leader so I saw in 15 right so I followed them at 15 and that's where Scott 
when Adam Scott had uh, had a bogey shot, he actually was putting off the green for a par, and he did a flop shot, which actually saved the tournament. It should have been a double bogey, but he was able to make that just a bogey, go from 11 under to 10 under. Kucher just missed a birdie that hole, made it eight. But they could have been tied at that moment. Kucher could have been at nine under, and mm-hmm. Scott could have dropped down to nine, and they would have been tied. Uh, but Scott just bogeyed that hole. And then on 16, it was a par three. They both like played it safe. All three of them played it safe. And McElroy was still, he was hanging around. There was a seven under, but you're like, well, if anybody can get like an eagle or a birdie at the end, it's going to be McElroy. But he really didn't have a charge. But then on 15, it's this long par five where they hit it, and they just, you just keep walking and walking and walking. And uh, 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 Scott was able to take a 10-foot putt, make it a go 11 under, and he had a two-shot lead going to 18. And as long as you play that safe, he was ready to go. So it's neat, that last ending hole when you walk into the clubhouse, it's really cool to walk. So I like that, and it was it was a good win for Scott, and uh, and and well played for it. It's a, it's a, look, it's a tough tournament. You can make mistakes, and I, Scott, but Scott won this. It wasn't like someone else lost it. His putt on 15, is saving the the bogey per se on fifteen, and then his putt, birdie on seventeen won him the tournament. Trust me, Ira. In my career, I've said saving the bogey many, many, many times. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, let's shift gears. Let's talk uh, some college basketball. You saw Gonzaga versus Pepperdine. I, re- I feel like you saw Gonzaga once last year, too, and that was a really good team. Uh, Ryu Hashimara doing great in the NBA uh, as a rookie. So I want to know, do you see similarities? Between- last year's team was really good, and they just happened to run into a year where NCAA basketball was really good. This year it's so wide open, but I don't feel like the team is as good, even though they're ranked number two. What do you think? It's a different team. I think the team isn't as good as last year's team. However, I think the... The, there's no elite basketball teams. And why this is a team that has three foreign players that play a lot. Philippe Petrusov, who's their 6'11 center, and Joel Awaii, who is a, is a guard, 6'5 guard from France, and then another French player. They have a Lithuanian player. And they have a seniors, mostly, most of their, they have just like one or two freshmen on the team that actually get a lot of time. None of the players are going to be drafted, but they play old-school basketball. But Petrusic doesn't take three-point shots. They get the ball inside to him. They pass the ball. There's a guy, uh, Corey Kispert, who had 19 points, five for eight and three. They're a the type of team that's like, we're going to shoot threes, but our threes are going to be shot by guys that make the threes. Too much, I think, in basketball, especially in college basketball, is these guys go down and everybody's like shooting threes whenever they want. I'm like, well, if you're not going to shoot at the three, you're not good at shooting three, don't shoot it. And I liked it. And they pass the ball well and they play hard. And the question is, well, if you're really an athletic team and you're like a Zion Williamson, you know, dominate, this team isn't that overly athletic. But there's really no team like that. And I, so you can see that with it in a year that there's no elite teams. This Gonzaga team, which I think is probably much worse than last year's team, but would not, could not win the national, the national, could still win the national championship this year. I mean, Pepperdine had them 44 44, uh, and then they ended up winning by 12. But it was like they had 30, um, Gonzaga had 31 baskets, they had 20 assists on 31. Uh, but the question for is their competition. They've won now 39 straight games in the West Coast Conference, uh, 39 straight games against Pepperdine. They really beat Oregon and Washington and Arizona and St. Mary's, but really not a, a major. They haven't. It's really they, the schedule's been very weak, but they've only lost one game, and that was to Michigan all year, and they blew out almost everyone else they played. Uh, this is the time. I mean, Gonzaga, you're thinking about they've been a lead for so long, but they have not won a national championship. They've only been to one Final Four, which is shocking. I mean, they went out when, when Mark Few was a coach in 1999. Uh, he won his first year. They went to the uh, Elite Eight, and they were like a 10 seed. And then they were a 10 seed, like 11 seed, and 12 seed. And then since then, now they've been like one, two, four. They've been these top seeds, but they get knocked out early. They get upset. So they were the, the people, and people are like, well, they're really because they don't play the tough competition. And they've had players like Adam Morrison, Zach Collins, Brandon Clark, Hushamoro, those players that we've talked about that play, you know, not elite NBA players dominant, Kelly Olynyk, uh, but still quality NBA players, but they haven't been able to. Maybe this is the year. I, I think they, I wanted to say they are exactly what I thought they were, really hard, smart team that shoots the ball well, knows what players to have, and, and, and just plays smart. But I, like another team would just have to totally blow by. I just don't think there's those teams out there. Like, like a Duke last year or Michigan State last year would have over, just overrun them. But I don't think they, there's no team out there that could do that this year. No, you know, and Ira, that's why I asked you that, because I, I think that a, a season like this with the landscape of the NCAA leads a team like Gonzaga to be a favorite, in my opinion. Well-coached, doing everything right, not making mistakes. This might be the year that Gonzaga can get over that hump. And you're right, they've been highly seeded for a, a, a decade now. You know what I mean? They're always at the top, but they just don't have maybe the, the freak beast-type players, the John Morant, not that he did great, but, uh, you know, just the um, that 
that X factor that you see two, three teams some year have. I think Gonzaga, the playing field's a little bit leveled this year, so I'm excited for them. Um, anything else from this game you want to touch on? No, I just back to you know. I just go in terms of the the rankings. Like you know, Baylor is a team that is that could potentially. I mean, been number one now for like three weeks, and and they've been winning. But you know, I just I'm not so. See this week they play Kansas. That's going to be a big test on how good Baylor can be. But the other teams in the top ten are San Diego State. They're 26 and 0. Milwaukee uh, Flynn is a point guard uh, who they play. Dayton is in the last ten. They're 23 and 2. Obi Toppins. They're they're uh, you know, he could be one of the top players taken in the draft. But they're exciting to watch. But then like this Duke team. I mean, I watch Duke every game. I mean, this Duke team is not like last year's Duke team. It's just uh, Vernon Carey's a nice player, but he's not Zion Williamson. Uh, they just don't have Cassius Stanley. They're a nice team. Trey Jones having them. I mean. Duke could easily, I mean, they're ranked number six in the country. They could win the national title, but they're, they're just a different team than Duke once had. Then you have teams like Kentucky that don't have no, te- no players that are going to be top drafted. Uh, Louisville, as we talked about, Penn State with Lamar Stevens and Pat Chambers, uh, their coach. I mean, Florida State is ranked eighth, 21 uh, 4. Leonard Hamilton and is just done a great job with this team. I mean, their position, I mean, you look at it's almost like a horse race where you have all the horses that are, you know, like anyone could just go down that finish line and just get super hot and win, win this because there's just all so even, it seems like, from the Villanovas to the Auburns, Oregon, Creighton. It's just, it is one of those years where I'm going to go like Iowa at 18 and 8 in the Big Ten. They could win the national championship. I mean, it's crazy. I don't know how far you can go, but I would, that it was like, I'd be shocked. But I'm going to, you're going to, you could easily see a six or seven seed uh, get into, into, win the national championship. And I don't think I would say, oh my gosh, that's a huge shock. That, like, if, say, Mar- Marquette with Marcus Howard at point guard would win the national championship, they're ranked 19th in the country. They're 17 to 7. I wouldn't be surprised if Marquette won the national championship. No, this is the first time in maybe my life. Where I could say, I think the number 19 team in the country could win this. And they really can. It's so wide open. That's what's making it so exciting. It's 740 Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Okay, so let's keep it in the NBA. And the All-Star Weekend is always uh, it's always fun. There's a lot of fanfare. They made some changes, especially to the game itself, Ira. And we've talked extensively about this on this show, so we're kind of at the cutting edge on that one. Give ourselves a pat on the back with the Elam ending that we'll talk about in a second. But this All-Star game, uh, it was in Chicago, and I think it turned out to be a pretty big success for the NBA. Well, it was unbelievable. We might have saw the future of basketball. And we had Nick Elam on the show, the uh, professor. Yeah. Twice, who talked about this and saying we got it, and all the ending is we're gonna we're gonna stop the game at a point in the game, and they're gonna give a number instead of having you hit with a clock. You take the clock out. Now you're gonna have a shot clock, but you're just gonna say who's gonna win. So if a team's leading by, so this game they said in the fourth quarter, whatever the score was, add 24 points to it. So the team, so the uh, LeBron's team was down nine, so they had to score 33 teams, where Giannis's team had to score 24. And that point, uh, uh, yeah, 24 with Kobe to honor Kobe Bryant. And what it made, why this made it so great, and what you saw about what you hate about basketball is the fouling at the end of the games. And of course, there's no fouling when you have to score. And it is much like playground basketball because people don't have clocks. Yeah. Like if you're going out to the gym, you don't have, oh, put the clock out. No one plays with a clock. No, you like play the 21. It's not played with a yeah. clock, it's played to a point. It's like, Point game, point shot. I'm going to make my point. Like, this is for the game. This is for everything. And that's how you think about it. And that's what made this so, it was so exciting at the end. Now, I thought it was gimmicky with the quarters and resetting the clock. But I, I wasn't so excited about the first, second, and third. Even though that in the third, they were trying to win that quarter. So it was like some excitement. But that what made the whole game was in the fourth quarter that the stars stayed out there. The teams were exciting. They played hard. They got everything. I mean, the, it, they tried, finally figured out how to make this work. And you've got to give Nick Elam credit. I wish he got a little more credit during the game and mentioned him. But he's been trumpeting this for years about having this Elam ending. They used it at the basketball tournament. But I would not be surprised. I'm saying this. I I think five, ten years from now, you might have this at every single. This is, might be how basketball is played because you could just see the fouling at the end. Is it intentional foul and shooting foul shots and this and that? It's boring. Like it's, it, 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 it takes these games. It will make a person try to win the baskets to win the game. No, I, I agree with you. And, you know, we talked to Nick Elam uh, twice on this show. I didn't quite grasp it completely till I saw it in action. And it does make so much more sense. The end of the game will be so much more exciting. I think the NBA will be very slow to adapt this. <laughs> but it was cool to see them at least try it, do something different. And that was the most intense third and fourth quarters of an NBA All-Star game I'd ever seen. Well, you had what was interesting. They kept the starters. You had a hard not starters, but the lineup. The, the uh, LeBron's team had James Harden, Anthony Davis, LeBron, Chris Paul, and Kawhi Leonard against Giannis, Paul, Pablo Siakam, Embiid, 
Kemba Walker and Kyle Lowry. So you, you got to see Harden was actually playing uh, like a some, uh, a role, like a you know the facilitator, facilitator role. yeah, which he never yeah, does. He, it was like it was like there's Paul and then there's LeBron and there's Kawhi Leonard and and Leonard was like super. I mean, I love how he load manages, but he played a lot in this game and played well. Yeah. He was the All Star MVP, but it was great because LeBron. It was like they had to get the score was to get to 157 and it was 154, 153. Leonard goes to make a three, misses, and then LeBron drives and like Giannis was guarding LeBron at the end of the game. And then LeBron missed a three and uh, and then. It they were they're actually playing defense to the end, and then Harden actually hit the three to win the game. But they called a charge on him, so it was. A, yeah. And then uh, then LeBron hit a two. Like they were trying to hit the three to make it to fifty-seven. So LeBron hit a dunk over Kemba Walker to make it one fifty-six, one fifty-three. Uh, but then uh, but then they they kept missing some shots, and then finally it was one fifty-six, one fifty-five. From to get to one fifty-seven, LeBron threw it to Anthony Davis, who got fouled by Lowry. He misses his first foul shot, but makes the second. And people said, "Oh, I don't want to see the game end in a foul shot." But I didn't have a problem with that i mean it was like that's how you score like that was exciting like i thought it was great it was tremendous the players played hard and i'm like i'm watching this i'm like this is the future of basketball that's why i was excited no i i agree with you i thought it was super cool who cares if it ends on a free throw they got they deserved the, the free throw and the pressure is on at that point to drop that free throw more than it ever is uh, in a game with some clock left you want to talk about some of the skills competitions at all because i was very happy to see our bam Adebayo of the miami heat take down the skills competition well, not only that, Derek Jones Jr., who if anybody watches the Heat knows, he just jumps out of the building. I mean, I think the dunks that I saw in the dunk competition were not as good as what we've seen in the games for Derek Jones Jr. Like, I've seen him have like four <laughs> dunks in games this year better than I've seen dunks in the game. But there was all this controversy with Aaron Gordon or the Magic about, and I, again, it's the judging. That's why I hate, you know, uh, figure skating and all these other things by trying to figure out how this was done. But, uh, but Derek Jones Jr. beat Aaron Gordon, uh, maybe because Dwayne Wade voted for him. And people were like, well, the judges were supposed to team up and make it a tie. But one judge, we know that one judge voted for Derek Jones Jr. Well, of course it was Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade's not going to not vote for a, a Heat player. And Bam Obayo winning the skills competition. And what's exciting is that Patrick Beverly, Spencer Didwitty, and, and Tatum last, were all past winners. And usually it goes to, to those are Beverly and guards. And it's good, but Bamabio hit his threes. You can just see how athletic he is. He's developing in this Heat superstar. He's going to go down as an all-time great Heat player, uh, maybe an all-time great NBA player. His improvement from year to year to year and getting the Heat, getting rid of Whiteside and letting Abayo just flourish in this offense has been great. And it's, now the whole world is seeing how well. Now, he, now Butler and Abayo in the game didn't play well, but winning that skills competition was cool. And then in the uh, uh, three-point shooting contest, Buddy Hill from Sacramento from Oklahoma beat Devin Booker from Phoenix uh, on a last shot. That was exciting because he won like on the, on the last shot. I went back from the Gonzaga game and, and watched. I didn't even know who had won the skills, and I watched it all real fast. Ira, we didn't get to discuss the trade deadline uh, last week as much as we could. We have talked about, or I have at least, uh, you know, uh, campaign for Pat Riley and just what he does to, to put a winner on, on the uh, court here at the AAA when it seems like everything's, you know, his back's against the wall. He continues to pull amazing moves. And, I mean, it, it helps when you draft Bam Adebayo's 13th overall, which is a great pick. But you got to be able to work your roster. He's great at it. You want to talk about a little deadline action? Well, I think we, we had um, John Michael from the Cavs on. We asked him the question. I didn't really get a chance for, to, me, to, to really talk about like, what the Heat did and why I think it was just a perfect move. It's, like, it's one thing to make mistakes, but if you can get out of your mistakes. And that's what you know, Pat Riley made mistakes. James Johnson was a mistake. James Johnson was a journeyman player. He played in seven teams. He gave him a $15 million, like, pay, he was paying him $15 million a year. He's not a $15 million a year player, but he was owed $15 million this year and $16 million next year. He was able to get rid of James Johnson get out of that contract. He, he, he played well that one year. They thought there was going to be improvement, but he's really regressed, only averaging seven points a game. Uh, Justice Winslow could be a good player, and, and this might come back to... We've like, seen flashes of Justice. Flashes, but he doesn't play enough. He played 66 games, and he wanted to be the point guard on this team, wanted to handle the ball, and it just didn't fit in with, and he also doesn't play enough. He gets injured. He's played 68 and 66. He's only played 11 games this year. Uh, he's owed 13 million, 13 million, and he was sort of the way they were able to get out of this. So he really wasn't playing like a 10th pick in the draft, but that he really didn't fit in, and if they brought him back, it was just forcing him in. So they got, they, he was traded. And then Deion Waiters, again, like a mistake, where Waiters had that one good year for the Heat a couple years ago. They gave him this contract, paid him 12 million a year, but he was just not, again, as someone who doesn't play a lot, 46 games, 30 games, 44, only three this year, causing all the problems in the locker room, and they were able to get rid of his contract, too. And you're taking a guy like Andre Godala in, who is a great defender, makes key shots, 
uh, I still think has a lot of gas left in the tank in terms of he's been sat out the whole part of the year. He was from Memphis. He was a, you know, from Golden State, but he had sat all last year when he got traded. Uh, so he hasn't really hasn't played all this year. I think he's going to be great. I mean, this is for the run. Like, I really like that. And they picked up, like, Jay Crowder, who people are like, was a throw-in. And you saw in the uh, he's one doing or great. games. He played great. I mean, it was, a, it was a perfect situation. And it preserves, more than anything, it preserves their cap flexibility. Uh, they, they're players of Tyler Hero, Bama Bylon makes $5 million. Tyler Hero makes 4 $9, million. Duncan Robinson, $1.6 million. So the Heat, uh, um, next year, instead of having caps of like $135 million, have a cap of 65 They can go out and sign a free agent. Not, but there's not really good free agents to sign, but they could make some trades. They could actually do some trades and, and, and do something. So it would be, it's... Um, it, 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 they have a lot of flexibility, but they can make a run to, to, to make it to the NBA Finals this year, and they put flexibility with all this good young core to add another person. So, Ira, let's talk about uh, the playoff races as we start to uh, get past the halfway point of the season, at least as far as the All-Star game is concerned. I think everyone thinks Min, uh, Milwaukee is going to run away with the Eastern Conference, but I think the West is a little bit more dicey, especially when you get to uh, seeds three through eight. Well, I th- just to run through real fast, I think if we have, you know, because I wanted to do this like the last week or so, but Milwaukee is playing well. And I think for, they're 45 and 7. And for to dismiss, people to dismiss that, I think it's completely inaccurate. I mean, they are playing well. Uh, Giannis and is, 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 is just improved so much. And they, he's they the best player in the league. He's the best player in the league, and, and, and the players around him, Chris Middleton, people say they have him number two. Chris Middleton can play. Chris Middleton scored 50 points this year. Eric Bledsoe, your Brooke Lopez, you have a good bench on that team. Budenholzer is an excellent coach. Like, Milwaukee is not a fraud at 45-7. and seven. Like, they're a, they're a really good team. Toronto, what's so impressive about them is they lost – Kawhi Leonard, and they're actually playing better this year than last year. Ben Exel has emerged as a superstar guard. Uh, Pascal Siakam is in a league. You saw him in the All-Star game, one of the top ten players in the league. And they just seem to be playing. Just, and Nick Nurse is a great coach. I mean, he's a tr- coaching does matter. And then gets back to Boston. Uh, they, they get rid of Kyrie Irving and bring in Kemba Walker. Now Brown, Jalen Brown, Jared Tatum, and, and, Kemba, and Kemba are making this great core of a team. You have guys like Marcus Smart. So they're playing well. I mean, look, they've lose some games, win some games. Whatever, but they they're thirty seven they're thirty seven and fifteen. They could win they could win the East and, and go to the go to the NBA Finals. It's, we know we talked about the Heat and the Sixers are the are the, the wild card. I mean they are their record on the road is the same record that the Knicks have, but at home they've lost like two games all year. They're cra- and Bede and Simmons haven't figured out all year, but they're dangerous and could could do something. And Indiana was really we're not even seeing the whole Indiana team because Oladipo, their star player, has been out all year with injury, but he's coming back and he played the last couple weeks. And by April, he's going to be back to his old self, and we'll see what happens. But and the rest of the rest of the league is, you know, that, those are the six ones. But but the rest ones aren't from the from the Nets and the Magic and Washington Bulls, Hornets and Pistons. They're sort of looking for next year. Um, and I, and teams and then but uh, but I think those top six are great in the East. Uh, and of course, Knicks and Hawks and Cleveland are terrible. Now in the West, though, <laughs> the, the West you have the Lakers, and who are thirty nine and twelve. On Wednesday night, they played the Nuggets in Denver and won. And that was a statement game where, like, LeBron played like LeBron. And that's – so it's hard to say, oh, I don't know if the Lakers are in it. When you see how low LeBron, like, I'm almost like they're going to – like, this, could, this is the, maybe the last best chance for LeBron because he really has a good team. They are missing some parts, but when he had to win that game, they won it, and they're going to have the number one seed. Uh, the Nuggets at four back, they're dangerous. Jokic, they're merging. Murray is a very good point guard. The Clippers with Leonard and, and George. First of all, they have to get healthy and play. Like, George has been missing games. Uh, the Leonard, of course, has missed games. I just, I'm there, you know, a lot of, but they, whenever they beat the Lakers, they've won those games. They, so that whenever they get to all their acts together, they can beat the Lakers. So the Clippers, a lot of people feel the Clippers are the team that's going to win in the West. But the Jazz are dangerous. Uh, Dennis Mitchell, you saw him in the Ulster game a little bit. Rudy Gobert, they're more of the old school team. They're almost like in yeah. saga, basketball, passing, shooting. And the Rockets, who knows if Harden and Westbrook could just go crazy, each score 50 points. They're going to play the small ball, 6-7 and under. They're going to cause trouble. So you have those. I mean, those are the interesting five teams. Now the Thunder, the Mavericks, the Memphis, these other teams aren't, are not going to be in competition. I mean, I'm shocked by Portland. 17 and a half games back with Damon Lillard is having a monster year, averaging 40 points a game. They haven't played well. San Antonio's having one of the worst years ever. But it's exciting for them the year because New Orleans is 19 back. They are six back for the playoff spot, and Zion's averaging 30 points a game. So that's, going to be, that's exciting about that. So it's a... I'm pumped for the end of the year. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting. And usually the last 
few weeks, say teams take it off. But I like to see the playoff positioning. You get to watch Zion, so New Orleans now. And the problem with the television is they show Golden State, and Golden State is now playing Leva almost like a college basketball team. <laughs> It's 7.53. This is Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, I'd love to talk some NFL, but we just don't have enough time. And nothing's really happened here. All we do is hear uh, rumors back and forth, nothing uh, concrete yet. But let's talk about um, UFC and boxing for a little bit. Um, we're going to see Fury versus Wilder, and this is supposed to be, uh, you know, for a boxing fan like you, this is like the cream of the crop. The heavyweight division is always the most exciting. And because you have Ali, and you had Foreman, and you have Tyson. And we really, when Klitschko was the champion, and they used to fight in, in Poland and Ukraine, and it was in the middle of the afternoon or the middle of the night. It was, but now you have Tyson Fury from England, and you have Wilder from, uh, from Alabama, both undefeated, both very hard punchers, both very tall, very strong, very big. Uh, I saw that first fight. I watched it again the other day. I was like, what a great fight. And, and Wilder is not really that charismatic. He wears crazy masks. Fury is hilarious. He just is joking the entire time. And he, he, it's, it's, it's one of those things where Fury upset Vladimir Klitschko in 2015. He's world champion. He has all the belts, everything. And then he just gets, gets, eats. He just drinks, smokes, eats, and does everything. And he just, like, falls. And, and they, had, they stripped him of all his titles. He doesn't fight for two years. Comes back. Wins two more, wins two fights, and then goes against Wilder. And he was a pretty heavy underdog in that first fight against Wilder, but he fought tremendously. And then Wilder, who really hasn't fought anybody, and, and Wilder's style is weird because Wilder doesn't just like stands around like someone like Luis Ortiz stands around most of the fight just waiting for that one punch. And you're like, oh, he's not going to work. It's not going to work. But he knocks everybody out. He's knocked at 40 people out of 41 fights. He knocks. He just he's that one punch is great. And in that first fight, he knocked. The interesting thing is it's sort of very Rocky-like because he knocked Fury down and Fury got back up. And he knocked him down again and he got back up. And that's, that's un- So it's amazing that a fight went to a draw. It was a, it was a split draw where one f- judge had it for Fury, one had it for Wilder, and the other judge had it as even, as a, as a draw. So it's a split draw. So, and the uh, betting odds are even. And so these are two evenly matched fighters. Fury weighs like 30 more pounds than Wilder, maybe, maybe 20 considering this fight. Um, and Fury is going to throw punches. I mean, they're going to throw punches. And except for and it's going to be exciting and they're both it's going to be fun it's going to be a fun thing to watch on on Saturday night I'm really it's one of the fights that I I think you're not going to see someone dance around like Wilder might not throw if Wilder doesn't throw punches in this fight he's going to get knocked out like Wilder usually wants to stand there and just wait for his punch but Fury's not afraid of why Fury's going to come in yeah. there and start pounding Wilder so this is in there it's exciting like I think look people some people don't like boxing but if you like boxing this is a, you just got to see this fight it's going to be tremendous um, let's talk about UFC for a second because I know there's some fights that uh, you've got lined up that you're looking at. Well, I think the Khabib uh, Tony Ferguson fight is going to be just a, just a great fight. I mean, we're looking. I mean, Khabib just is taking on all comers, uh, challenging himself, and this whole idea that he has to fight Mayweather is I mean, not Mayweather McGregor is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, McGregor continually is calling him out, and I'm like. Khabib destroyed McGregor. Uh, McGregor fought one fight in three years, and now he says, okay, now I'm back. I'm ready to fight. No, no, no. Earn your way back. Khabib's the champion. Khabib's whatever. Earn your way back. And what's the first fight was close. We talked about Fury Wilder, but that was a draw. They, but yeah, I don't think McGregor deserves it, but it's like almost every single day, and then he has all his people in the media all pushing for this left and right. It's great. Then build the fight. Win the fight. Don't talk. Win fights. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Is Khabib is fighting Tony Ferguson. Like I'm saying something for McGregor. Go fight some more people. You fight uh, a cowboy last time, last month. Well, then fight some more fights and then build the fight up. Don't just demand to fight Khabib now. Take your time and work and earn the right. Just don't say you're ready to fight. I mean, Khabib is, is just a tremendous fighter. He totally destroyed McGregor in that first fight. Totally destroyed him. He didn't, and, and McGregor doesn't deserve a rematch. He deserves to win some fights. And, and earn it. All right, Ira, let's talk tennis for a little bit. Um, we're playing here in Delray Beach, and I know our girl Coco Golf made a little bit of a splash. So uh, tell us what's happening here in South Florida. Well, they, she doesn't play in the tournament. She played it in like an exhibition. <laughs> 
<laughs> but they try to advertise it, so I give them a lot of credit. They really, it's a great tournament if you like tennis, and of course I do, and I'll catch it this weekend. But uh, Nick Kyrgios is the number one seed, and he could face TFO in the second round. There's a round of 32, so they start playing this week, and it's over as best out of three sets, hard court, right in Delray. And uh, uh, they have uh, Kyrgios as the number one seed is very good. He's one of the top players. And, and then Malis Ronick of Canada is also uh, is the number two seed, and who's a, who's a phenomenal. You have Raleigh Apeka from America, and you have TFO in America, and Taylor Fritz in American. So it's a, it's a fun tournament, and I love going there and watching it. I think it's great. I'm going to be, uh, catch a couple rounds, uh, a couple of matches uh, this week, and I'm glad. It used to be the same week as the Honda, but now it's the week before the Honda, so I think that's a smart move. So, Ira, we don't talk all that much NHL on this show. I'm a big hockey guy, too, though, and this is the, the nitty-gritty part of the season when it starts to get into it. I think tonight you could be seeing on ESPN uh, a preview of the Stanley Cup as you've got Tampa Bay facing off against Colorado. Colorado has the most dangerous line in all of hockey, and they'll be facing off against the best goalie in the league. Andre Vasilevsky won the Vezina Trophy last year for Tampa Bay, and he's doing better this year. It's almost an unprecedented run in the history of hockey. So tonight you're going to see a great match as uh, Tampa Bay travels to Colorado. But this is a season where, again, I think things are up for grabs. You saw last year Tampa Bay win the President's Trophy, go in and get swept by the eight seed in the Blue Jackets, something you never thought was coming. So I don't know if you've formed any opinions yet on the NHL. I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be a really tough out. They've played great without Sidney Crosby, without Evgeny Malkin. Phil Kessel's no longer on the team. They're, they're winning games left and right with no name. So that's another team I'm going to be looking out for uh, here as hockey winds down. What about with Ovechkin in, the, in Washington? I mean, he's the name that is that that draws people to the sport that are like, oh, I know who Ovechkin is, and I know he's. Gonna, and Gretzky made a comment that he could pass his goal, his his uh, unreachable goal number, and it's great to have players like that. And 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 with Washington's success in, in the last few seasons, I mean, that's exciting to have Washington in the mix. And the fact that St. Louis and Boston are back at the top of the standings after what they did last year. People are familiar with them, and, and clearly it's not a fluke when they're back and both leading. So I think that's what makes it exciting. And, of course, hockey is the one sport where in the playoffs anybody can win, and that's, a, that's the key about that. You know, I think that um, you're absolutely right about Washington, and Ovechkin is probably going to break Wayne Gretzky's goal record. So that's something to keep our eye on. Everyone who's a hockey fan is watching them every night. They've got a lot of turmoil at the goalie position, and Braden Holtby, who has been their number one forever, is having a bad year. They've got two guys under him who are chipping away, trying to steal starts from him. So I think it's a little bit of turmoil um, at the backstop position for Washington. It's going to hold them out. If I had to bet... I'm taking Boston to come out of the East, and I hate to say that because I hate the Bruins. And they're just—I mentioned Colorado has the best line in the NHL. They've got the second-best line in the NHL, uh, the Marchand and Pasternak line. This team's going to be really tough to beat. So if I had to bet now, I'm taking Boston to go to the Stanley Cup, and I take Colorado or Dallas out of the West uh, just because of how— sturdy they are on, on both sides of the puck both uh, offensively and defensively Colorado out of nowhere it probably has the rookie of the year which you don't rarely see from a team that's drafting you know pick 28 but uh, Kale Maker is just phenomenal I, I I'm really typically torn on these but I think it's down to just a few teams here in the NHL where do you think Florida? Do you think Florida can make a move? I mean, is there, I, I do. Um, you know, they're in fourth place right now in the Atlantic. And if it wasn't for Toronto and uh, Tampa Bay and Boston in front of them, you know, Florida could be in the Western Conference in some of these divisions and be leading the division. They happen to be playing in the best division in hockey. And that's, that's crushing them that they have to play these teams so many times. What's going to be huge is they have two games left against Toronto. And Toronto's the three seed right now. So if they can win both of these games... They'll propel ahead of them, and that's going to be massive because you do want to be the, the, the highest seed possible to face some of these bottom feeders like you're going to see slide in um, at the bottom of the draft. They've got Sergei Bobrovsky. So anytime you've got a goalie who's won a Vezina Trophy and can shut it down, they've got one of the best lines in hockey, the Huberdeau and Barkov line. I'm not putting anything past them. And it's going to come down to these last couple of months. They won seven straight before the All-Star break. Then they come out after the All-Star break and drop two of three. So can the Panthers be consistent? I hope so, because I'm looking to see a lot of playoff games here in South Florida. 
and also, I just want to clarify, I've been watching it. Danny Hamlin, they, they finished the race. There was a bunch of huge accidents at the end of the race, which they have to address, because I think he was like the only driver still on the, on the track. It was Talladega Nights, but Danny Hamlin <laughs> did win the 2020 uh, uh, Daytona 500. But it was crazy. You watch the end of this race. It took the last 15 laps. There's 200 laps in the race. The last 15 laps, I think, took like an hour and a half. It's funny. Our producers, uh, Mike Scooter Marone and also Sean uh, Connor telling me the race is over. ESPN is saying it's not, that it's postponed, but yeah, they gave it to Danny Hamlin. So, yeah, very weird finishes uh, here as far as the Daytona 500 goes. Ira, you're in California now, but I think you're heading back here. What's your plan for this week? Well, I think I'm going to catch a little of the, uh, definitely I'm going to catch uh, some of the Delray Open, and uh, on Saturday night is the Dwayne Wade retirement game in Miami, uh, where they're going to retire his jersey. So I'm pumped with that. The Cavaliers are going to be uh, play there, and uh, I think it's going to be very emotional. Dwayne Wade's meant so much to this town. I uh, can't wait for this game. It was there, the Bosch retirement ceremony last year. Loved it. Can't wait for this game. Uh, so I think it's good. I mean, it's, it, in some ways, you wish that Dwayne was still on the team. Like it, the team's playing well, you would think that he could play a good role, but. He wanted to retire. He's enjoying himself. He's doing a lot of commercials with his wife. Uh, but you would like to think, I mean, this is the type of team that Dwayne could have played uh, like oh, a yeah. six-man role in and, and would have been very good. I mean, it's a shame that it just everything works out, but sometimes not the perfect way. But he's, he, according to Dwayne Wade, he's had a perfect uh, career in terms of playing. But it's a shame that he didn't. He couldn't have spent like one more year with his team. It's funny. You know, I didn't even think about that, that if he just had come back and even, like, like you said, do a, a load management six-man role, he'd be having the time of his life with these young kids. It's unfortunate that it worked out the way he did, but who could have saw this Heat team coming, I? Um, we are out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.